I don't know what test and it's like you've got COVID, yeah. so I'm, I'm I'm isolating for five days and just kind of oh, oh dearie. I think it's good we got most of the script done anyway, and so we're all yeah. Right. Get this get this done, absolutely. Oh, for Your pups. picture is frozen now, but I heard it say recording in progress again. All right. It says I'm mute. It says I'm unstable. I think yeah, yeah. Um, I think your internet connection's not great. You, I can hear you now, and I can see you're moving and everything. Huh? Do you yeah, know what? So it might have just been for a wee second there. I would just say, I mm-hmm. am a little bit tired, and I'm a little bit groggy, okay. but that's all right. So we're going to do it. Are you ready? I am. Yep. All right. You can start off then. There we go. Hi everyone, I'm Carrie, And I'm Rob. Welcome to the Celtic Tales Chronicles podcast. And we're back to discussing UFOs in Ireland. So if you remember, in the last episode, we took a look at the strange lights that the pilots of three separate commercial flights reported to Shannon Airport Traffic Control in November of 2018. And we pointed out that these sightings were not the only strange things seen in the skies in recent times. From Wicklow Town to Ballymahan in Longford, there have been plenty of sightings and videos and photos. Mm-hmm. In Northern Ireland, the PSNI receives regular calls about UFO sightings, like the 2019 Dairy Caller, who told the PSNI that they were waiting for a UFO to land in their back garden. Uh, yeah, as you do. I'm, I'm presuming they're still waiting. And uh, and also, what about the 2007 mysterious dancing lights overlooking slash Leakslip area that an eyewitness reported in boards.ie? Was this connected to the security aspect in Leakslip that Irish civil servants referred to and a UFO discussion that was released under a Dublin Live um, Freedom of Information request? So if you haven't listened to the previous UFO episode, pause this now, go listen, and then come back. Please come back. (laughs) Please come back. We'll we'll be hanging out, coughing and spluttering with COVID and stuff and waiting for you to come back. Um, But for this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to take a deeper dive into the UFO phenomena, UFO phenomena, and examine who or what these sightings signify. Are known human entities visiting Ireland? If so, why? I think a good way to begin examining these questions is to go back to the 2018 pilot sightings that were reported to Shannon Airport. Those conversations were recorded and can be heard on YouTube. The recording is a little difficult to hear, so in the previous episode, Rab and I read out the transcript. But some listeners have been requesting that we play the audio, so here is a short extract. To hear the full exchange, Go check out the link in the episode notes. There's nothing showing on either primary or secondary. Okay, it was moving so fast, it's actually 10 no longer to you, but yes, thank you. Uh, along the side you. 
get to uh, come up on our left hand side and then rapidly veer to the north. Uh so bright light and then it's just disappeared at a very high speed. Um, and we is wondering. We didn't think it was a likely collision course, we're just wondering what that could have been. So I guess what I like about this recording is there's a great example of contemporary people discussing and describing something they can't quite understand. When you hear the full recording, I'm just a wee wee snip. And it's not only the flight crews that cannot explain what was seen on that day. Um, the subsequent Irish Aviation Authority's investigation was deemed inconclusive. So, yeah. And here's the thing. This is not the first time that there have been discussions about unexplained aircrafts in the Shannon Airport area. Other things have been seen and have been reported in detail in that area. These strange phenomena occurred before social media, so there are no audio recordings. And in fact, most the most famous of these incidents occurred before the airport was actually even built. And get this, these strange sightings took place before there were even aeroplanes in Ireland. Do-do-do, very spooky. Do-do-do-do, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So anyway, according to askaboutisland.ie, the first manned flight in Ireland took place in 1909 when Harry Ferguson made a flight at McGilligan Strand Loch Foyle. And then in 1910, Lillian Bland, Ireland's first woman pilot, she flew a biplane in County Antrim. And then, a year later, a book was published called The Fairy Faith in Celtic. Oh, excuse me, there's a book there, something came back. A year later, a book was published called The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries. The book was written by Walter Yeeling Evan Wentz, an American anthropologist who is still well known as the man who introduced the concepts of Tibetan Buddhism to the West. The book had an introduction by Douglas Hyde, someone you may remember, who would go on to become the first president of Ireland. Though published in 1911, the book references research from earlier in the 20th century. And one of the really fascinating parts of the book is the section called Evidence from Loch Ur, County Limerick, which could also easily be retitled Weird Shit and Lots of It. Yeah, a lots of weird shit and that weird shit. It includes accounts of fairy boat races on Loch Gur, which is 50 kilometres, 30 miles, southeast of Shannon Airport. According to the author, multiple witnesses claim to have seen fairy boats racing across Loch Gur on clear, calm, moonlight nights in summer. I'm going to quote here, a big quote, here we go. The boats come from the eastern side of the lake, and when they arrived at Garrod Island, where Desmond Castle lies in ruins, they vanish behind Knock Adun. There are four of these phantom boats, and each in each there are two men rowing and a woman steering. No sound is heard, though the seer can see the weird silvery splash of the oars and the churning of the water at the bows of the boats as they shoot along. It is evident that they are racing, because one boat gets ahead of the others, and all the rowers can be seen straining at the oars. Boats and occupants seem to be transparent, and you cannot see exactly what their nature is. One old peasant told me that it is the shining brightness of the clothes on the phantom rowers and on the women who stare, which makes them visible. Another man, who is about 40 years of age, and as far as I know of good habits, assures me that he has also seen this fairy boat race, and that can 
and that it can still be seen at the proper season, end quotes. I think what's interesting about this strange craft is that crafts on water are actually part of the wider UFO phenomena. There are many, many reports of strange objects in the water, above water, or flying out of the water. The most recent being the multiple unexplained crafts that buzzed USA warships in 2019. Crew video was released by UFO investigator Jeremy Corbell, who co-hosts a great UFO podcast called Weaponized. And in the video, you can see objects hovering above the water, entering and leaving the water, as well as flying in the air around these Navy ships. Other connections between the Loch Gurf sightings and more recent UFOs is that the objects are silent, the occupants glow, and the ferry boats seem to be not fully visible. These similarities with UFOs are examined. And an essay called Between One Eye Blink and the Next, Fairies, UFOs and Problems of Knowledge by Peter M. Rokovitz. I hope that's how I pronounced that right. And we'll be looking at that a little bit later in the podcast. Now, of course, some of our more discerning listeners will have realised that the 2018 UFOs were not actually over Shannon. They were reported to the air traffic controllers who are based in Shannon Airport. The actual incident took place in the southwest of Ireland over County Kerry, which begs the question, does Kerry have any history of UFOs and extraterrestrials? To which the answer is yes. And the Kerry weird shit, like myself, is far stranger than the Shannon weird shit. Over to you, Rab. I don't think you're you're good shit at all, <laughs> Kerry. You're, you're just, you're, you are what you are, and that's all good. Okay, so... What we're going to look at now is we're going to be talking about a guy who may or may not have lived, but certainly the idea of him was a living thing and was such a strong, compelling idea that at various times in Irish history, the impact of this person or the very idea of this person caused fierce debate and discussion and even changes in Irish society. There are only little scraps of information about him in the various medieval accounts, and one of the best examinations of this person, or idea of the person, can be read in an article by Tatiana Shingorova. Shingorova, yeah. Jeannie, man, you know her, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> she hangs about Donegal all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And do you know what? There'll be links to all this stuff in the footnotes, so just go and check it out yourself. Um, and that article was published in uh, the 2018 Proceedings of the Harvard Celtic Colloquium, and the article was called The Story of Mog Rua, uh, Perceptions of Local Myth in 17th Century Ireland. Okay, so this is the moment where somebody needs to play a really loud death metal guitar riff. We should get a soundboard, Rob. Oh, fuck yeah, but you know what? I, I, doing my due diligence, went and looked about to see if I could find an actual guitar rift somewhere and uh, you know what I might have found one you ready? yep whoa <laughs> that's exactly what I meant <laughs> so I think that's a good place to pick up our story. We may, I may have COVID, and I may be a wee bit glaky because my head's mince. But 
We are on a zone. We've got I think that's woke me up. I think it's woke up all our uh, listeners as well, which is great. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to get really back into it now. Now then, so for a long time, Mogru has been one of those historical slash mythical figures that only the more esoteric and wild thinking, possibly mushroom consuming followers of Irish history have been into. And I'd like to point out that I'm from Ulster, so my pronunciations of Irish words might be slightly different from Rab's. Hmm. But it seems he is definitely making a comeback. And while Tatiana Shurigova's article refers to a 17th century dispute over the legacy of this person being god, demon, wizard, you name it, it was not the first or last dispute caused by Magru. No. And hopefully this episode will kickstart another discussion slash argument about Mog Rua. And again, we have different pronunciations. And you know, if you go on the internet, there's going to be even more pronunciations. Just, you know, that's fine. The beautiful thing about the Irish language, it is so dialect diverse, I guess, is the word. It's yeah, really cool. it's very rich. It's, got, it's like the environment is very, very, very rich. So I'm, I may just refer to him as Mr. Mog from now on. Honestly, fair enough. Though we should point out before we get into it that Mogru is in no way connected to Mog the Forgetful Cat, which is a wonderful children's book written and illustrated by Judith Kerr. And there is actually a play adaptation of Mog the Forgetful Cat currently running as part of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Oh, did, did you get to see it when you were over? No, I didn't. Listeners, I was in Edinburgh this week and it was fantastic. Got to see a lot of late night comedy shows, but we did not make it to Mog the Forgetful Cat. But Oh, you forgot. And I, I will regret that for, for probably the rest of my life because I'm sure it's absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, I love Mog the Cat. Uh, there's a whole, I mean, I'm just going to go off one here. There's a whole series of books about the Forgetful Cat. And if you're stressed out, go read one and you'll find yourself relaxing and chuckling and just feeling full of contentment. Which is definitely not how you would feel if you met up with this Mog. So what's his story, Rob? Well, first of all, he's a Kerry man. Which is okay, which is great. Kerry's lovely. Um, now, he lived on Valencia Island uh, many centuries, indeed millennia ago. And he was a powerful wizard. Valencia is located in southwest Ireland right under the flight path of the aeroplanes that saw the alleged UFOs in 2018. Yeah, keep that in mind. According to various medieval accounts, Mr. Mogg was in Ireland during the reign of Con Mail, who was supposed to be the High King sometime between 1200 and 1600 BC. He's also recorded as helping Cormac MacArt defeat the King of Munster. Now, Cormac MacArt was the High King of Island somewhere between the second and fourth century AD, by which time Mark Rua would have been at least two thousand years old. So yeah, he's a kind of long lived guy. But the most interesting stories about him they kind of begin in the biblical Middle East. Irish people have always been just absolutely everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as so, a carry man, yeah, yeah, carry man in the biblical Middle East. Sure, why not? So at this time, there was a king called Herod, whose realm was being disturbed by a troublemaker you may have heard of called John the Baptist. 
Who was not Irish? No. Not Irish. He was just he a knows troll agent. John. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes, go carry on. Ah, it's okay. So Herod had the horn for a young woman called Salome. I think that's how you pronounce it. That is definitely. He promised to dance for him if he granted her a wish. Listening to his dick, Herod said sure, and Salome danced. In return, she asked for the head of John the Baptist, this weird preacher guy who had seemingly pissed her off. So Herod had to keep his promise because his word was law, and if he broke his word, then none of his other laws would be valid. Trouble was, he couldn't find anyone to behead the crazy preacher, who was regarded as pretty harmless by most people. But then, up stepped a carry man and said, sure, I'll behead the fucker if you give me a choice of the finest maidens in the palace. And I don't think there's been any change in the behaviour of Irishmen since then. Do <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? And I'm just going to say this to readers, we are paraphrasing the story here. <laughs> just just so you know, this is not mm -hmm. exact quotes from the, the Bible or the medieval accounts, but it's just a summary. That's, yeah. And uh, anyway, now here's the thing. That Kerry man was none other, you guessed it, than Mog Rua, Mr. Mog himself. So he did the deed. He put John the, be the bee's severed head on a silver platter and brought it to King Herod. Later on, in medieval Ireland, there was a belief that Mog Rua's execution of John the Baptist had brought a curse on the island, which explained disasters like the Viking attacks. But the killing of John the Baptist wasn't the end of Mr. Mogg's adventures in the East. Turns out John the Baptist had prophesied the coming of the Messiah, which was some guy, uh, what's his name hmm. again? Jesus Christ. Okay, I've got COVID, so my head's up fucking up my ass. Anyway, I'm, I'm slipping in and out of reality. Carry on. Perfect. Now, after the death of Jesus, his apostles carried on preaching his beliefs. One person who converted to the faith was Simon Magus, who was a magician and a millionaire. Think Elon Musk, only with a personality. So for mm. a time, Simon hung out with Peter the Apostle, who had known Jesus and was a pretty formidable leader of the early Christians. So these were two men renowned for wisdom and learning. And one day, a man came to ask that they teach him. That man was a none other than Mr. Mogg, the travelling Kerry man. And this is where the story gets interesting. So Simon got into a dispute with the apostles. They might have been pissed off with his magical skills. So an argument broke out and Simon went his own way. Mogru sided with Simon and stayed with him to learn more magical skills. And somewhere in this time... Mogruf began to be associated with an object called a Rama. This was a wheel-shaped object powered by oars that could fly through the air and strike people dead. Tesla wishes they had the patent. Yeah, a flying disc. It's a death ray. I think Tesla would love that. And here's the mad thing. It's a flying disc. It's a death ray. And it's cutting about the biblical Middle East. And it's driven by a man from Kerry. So just one folk just let that sink in for a moment. Just absorb that, okay? Flying disc, death ray, Kerry driver, Middle East biblical times. There you go. The world is a small place. It really is. 
anywhere you go, there'll be an Irish person. That's what I've learned. Traveling, doesn't matter where you go in the world, there'll be somebody from Ireland. So this ancient flying saucer was fundamental to Mogroof's life and identity. In fact, his name actually translates to slave of the wheel. In some fashion, he was bound to this strange flying machine. However, after Simon raped Mogroof's daughter, Tlachta, she destroyed the machine. Then Mog and his daughter returned to Ireland. There, she gave birth to three children, and according to some accounts, she lit the first Samhain fire. Yeah, and I was just, I just find that mad, because Halloween, which is seven, or it comes off seven, it was begun by the child of a man who flew a flying saucer. I'm just saying, I just want to again, let that sink in. Anyway, I'm just, I keep going up and rants. Listeners, my head's mince. I've got COVID. Um, this was not the end of the flying machine. No, no, no. Clockta eventually became a very powerful druid, and there were signs of the flying machine over the hill that still carries her name in County Meath. Now, this is where things get a little bit muddled, because there's a prophecy associated with this flying saucer. The prophecy was made by St. Saint Comkill, who founded the monastery in Iona, Scotland, and Comkill was also the name of my primary school back in Scotland. St. Comkill prophesied that in the end days, the nations of Europe will be destroyed by the Rock Ramach for following the ways of the wicked Simon Magus. But here's the thing about prophecies. You kind of have to try and work out exactly what they mean. Does Comkill mean that the one flying wheel-shaped object is going to destroy Europe? Or does he use rock ramach as a general term for flying machines? One of the interesting ideas with UFOs is that they are so fucking mind-blowing that humans can only perceive them using the cultural tropes and memories that they have within their own mind. So in medieval times, a UFO was seen as a great flying wheel. And in the early 20th century, rural Ireland, it seems a fairy boat. So maybe St. Comkill is trying to express something that's beyond his language and cultural heritage. And here's another suggestion. Maybe the prophecy is not about UFOs as such, but about flying machines, which would again be hard for medieval people to describe. Maybe he means by this prophecy, Europe's destruction will come through the use of flying machines. Yeah. That's kind of weird, you know. I love prophecies, and this I mean, this one made me think of, you know, a couple of things like you know the fire bombings the Allies did in World War Two, or you know the threat of ballistic missiles with their nuclear warheads. That's what I was kind of thinking of. Yeah, it could refer to the way COVID nineteen was spread by passengers on commercial airlines, and it might even refer to the way airplanes contribute massively to global warming. Yeah. Whatever you think of the prophecy or the flying wheel or all the other stories associated associated with Mogru, there's something else to consider. Who the fuck was Mogru? Maybe a better question is, what the fuck was Mogru? The evidence from the medieval scripts and poems and stuff suggests he's a long-lived individual who seemed pretty indestructible. But he was not immortal. According to one tradition, he was eventually killed by the Kalya. Yeah. And he also had immense knowledge, but needed the help of other wise men to bring that wisdom to fruition. 
to help him build his flying machine that was so essential to him that he was perceived as being enslaved to it. And it is possible that Mogruh was not human. Maybe he was a scientist from another dimension. Maybe he wasn't long-lived as such. Perhaps he could just step in and out of our dimension during different points in history. And that kind of makes more sense to me than him living thousands of years, I won't lie. Yeah. And then somewhere, if you accept that, there's this idea that somewhere in his travels, he lost the technology that helped him through move through time and space. So he needed to tap into the wisdom of locals to try and make a new machine. This may sound like an episode of Doctor Who with the TARDIS, but it's all there in the medieval texts and poetry. Yeah. So maybe the lights that the pilots saw over Kerry in 2018 were from the dimension that Mr. Mogg came from. Maybe it was a follow-up mission. Or perhaps they were looking for their lost scientist. But here's the thing. Maybe Mogru was not the only visitor from another dimension to visit Ireland. Oh, fuck yeah. In Love. fact, <laughs> I, we'll put a wee, uh, yeah, you'll put a wee reference to that notes as well, like where we've got that clip from, it's brilliant. Um, all right. In fact, it could be that Ireland has had lots of visitors from other realms. And some of those visitors are still here. And it's not just this podcast that is pointing this out. There's actually a wealth of research out there examining all the weird shit in Ireland's myth and folklore. But for this episode, we're going to focus on Between One Eye Blink and the Next, Fairies, UFOs and Problems of Knowledge by Peter M. Hmm, How do I say this? Rockowitz? Rockowitz? I'm going to go for Rockowitz. Rockowitz? Okay, I'll do that again. Yeah. But it's not just this podcast that is pointing it out. There's actually a wealth of research out there examining all the weird shit in Ireland's myth and folklore. But for this episode, we're going to focus on Between One Eye Blink and the Next, Fairies, UFOs and Problems of Knowledge by Peter M. Rockowitz. Yeah. Rockowitz examines the similarities between UFO phenomena and fairies and magical beings, myths, faiths and folklore around the world, and asks what this says about how we understand the world or worlds around us. A lot of Between One Eye Blink and the Next deals with Irish accounts of fairies, including, as we mentioned earlier, the fairy boat races on Loch But he also looks at other Irish stories, including one of Rab's favourites, the tale of Lusmore and the fairies. I know this one because I've heard you tell it. I, I love this wee story. It's a nice wee story. Um, I used to tell it to my children when they were wee, and I used I still use it as part of my the course I teach on storytelling and narrative in the University of Galway. So what's the story, Kerry? So Lusmore is a young man who was born with a hump on his back, but one evening, while sleeping on a small hill, he hears strange voices singing in Irish. Jailu. And Lusmore is so taken with the song that he repeats the words and adds a line of his own. Next thing, a great wind lifts Lusmore up and takes him inside the hill. 
terrified he is confronted by the fairies that live there. But then they calm him down by singing the new version of the song. Then one of them tells us more. Lost more, lost more, your words we adore. That hump you abode is no more, lost more. Look on the floor, lost more, look on the floor. So Lusmore looks down, and sure enough, his hump has fallen to the floor. He is so overcome with emotion that he faints. And when he wakes up, he is outside the hill, wearing a new suit, and his hump has vanished. Yeah. Rokovich compares this to UFO encounters, where people are taken inside a non-human object, meet strange beings, and are somehow mentally and or physically changed. A UFO encounter with direct parallels to the Lismore story took place in 1969. It happened to a doctor who I presume is French who had been wounded in the Algerian War. He'd stepped on a landmine which had left him paralysed down the right-hand side of his body, thus ending his career as a pianist. But then, in late 1969, ten years after the landmine explosion, he encountered a UFO which zapped him with a beam. When he came to, his paralysis had gone and he could play the piano again. Yeah, I love all these little connections. Um, Rogovich, I hope I pronounced his name right, Rogovich also compares fairies and aliens to guardian angels in Christian tradition. And if they're treated with respect, they can be very beneficial to us. But of course, this form of interceding takes place in many other traditions. For example, in central Australia, the Arunta people have spirits called Alker Inga and Uruntarania. And again, apologies if I mispronounce. And they will watch over you again if you treat them with respect. Similarly, the Igbo people of southeast Nigeria have spirit entities who will watch over you if you respect your ancestors. So these tales of other potentially benevolent beings are everywhere in many different cultures and communities across the span of history. But what do all these sightings mean, and what do they represent? Okay, so I've got to try and summarise Rokovich's thesis here. He argues that our physical bodies are the outer manifestation of a more subtle inner force, and that inner force is connected to the, the subtle force that can be found in rock, and animals and plants. And that all these folkloric beings, whether fairies, aliens, guardian angels or spirits, are in fact examples of our brains creating archetypes that allow us a connectivity to a far wider set of realms and realities. These beings are real, he argues, but we can only see them or engage with them from the knowledge systems and experiences that we have. In other words, we are connected to something so vast we cannot simply conceive of it in its entirety. But we can engage with that vast beyondness through folkloric entities. And this makes a lot of sense. The human brain has a way of protecting you, and when you see something you cannot comprehend or it is too painful to experience, the brain will view what you are seeing into something easier to comprehend. Things like disassociative personality disorders often occur as a coping mechanism by the brain to protect the person experiencing the trauma. 
So, yeah, those are real, as are fairies, guardian spirits. And this is not that crazy an idea. Astronomers and physicists are still trying to figure out that vast chunk of space that is not matter. Now, to quote a NASA article on dark energy, quote, more is unknown than is known. We know how much dark energy there is because we know how it affects the universe's expansion. Other than that, it is a complete mystery. But it is an important mystery. It turns out that roughly 68% of the universe is dark energy. Dark matter makes up about 27%. The rest, everything on Earth, everything ever observed with all our instruments, all normal matter, adds up to less than 5% of the universe. Come to think of it, maybe it shouldn't be called normal matter at all, since it is, since it is such a small fraction of the universe. End quotes. And just think about that. All we can truly know is such a small fraction of the universe, less than 5%. Maybe the other 95% is where fairies, angels and aliens come from. Or perhaps an acceptance of fairies and aliens and all that is natural to us. Perhaps these beliefs and strange encounters are just physical manifestations of an inherent human understanding that we have a connection with everything. From the ants in our garden to supernova light years away and to countless realms we cannot even imagine. Perhaps believing in these things is not a mad thing at all. Perhaps denying that connectivity is the truly mad and crazy thing. Our planet is being racked by fire, flood and drought because we live in a system that willfully makes us blind to the fact that we do not stand alone and that we are all connected. Yeah. And if that's the case, then we should start listening to the fairies and the aliens and actually do something about it. So listeners... If that hasn't totally blown your mind already, and if you haven't been watching the news over the last few weeks, have another bombshell to drop. Take cover! The US government has basically admitted that aliens are real, and whistleblowers have admitted that the US government is not only in possession of non-human crafts, but also non-human bodies. Do-do-do, spooky noises. Spooky noises? You have to define non-human bodies. I've been telling that I've got a non-human body. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I have issues with that already. But anyway, according to Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett in March of this year, recovered UFO technology may be being reverse engineered right now by the US government. Burchett also believes that the US has recovered a craft at some point and possible beings. Isn't it wild that we live in a world where we know aliens are real and I still have to go to work and answer emails? Huh? Yeah, maybe there's... Maybe some of those emails are coming from the aliens themselves, you know? Excellent point. Yeah. And I'm sure if aliens have figured out deep space travel and how to disguise their crafts, you know, Gmail... And social media would just be a breeze to them. And on that note, that's all for this episode, listeners. Stay tuned for a bonus episode soon to hit our Patreon, where I discuss alien technology, the modern day space race, and Lacanian philosophy. And it all ties in, I swear. Aye, people, if Kerry says it ties in, (laughs) 
it hangs in, and we're not going to argue with that at all. Uh, any more thoughts about what we've been discussing, Kerry, before we, have, we swap our end news? Any thoughts? Yeah, it's just, it's really exciting and terrifying. Ever since I was a child, I've been afraid of being abducted by aliens. And doing all this research has not sort of, <laughs> ha- has not gotten rid of that fear. That's what I'll say. Oh no, they're coming for you, Kerry. The yeah. whole point of this vast 95% of the universe that is unknowable to us is that they're all planning to get you, Kerry. Specifically, I know I'm the centre of the universe, but like I didn't think everyone else knew that. <laughs> Absolutely. Across various dimensions, realms, there are beings and entities and things we can't even imagine. They've all got little plans to get Kerry. They're all heading to Donegal now. <laughs> Do you know what? I've been to Donegal and I'm, I'm not going to say it, but you know. If there were going to be aliens in Ireland, they'd probably be in Donegal. Let's let's call a spade a spade. I, you know what? That's good. I love Donegal. My uncle's from Donegal. I love Donegal. I'm going to say that. That's okay. So, and any thoughts with you about this whole? I, I think it's just I I I love the idea that you know because we've been talking about other episodes about how you know the the idea of progression or em- empires progressing and forcing us into these kind of very tight ways of thinking about progress and commerce and economics and. It's completely fucked the planet. And and then if you take a step back, you realise if we just stayed open and aware and connected, things might have been a lot better. So I'm quite happy with aliens popping in and out and doing their thing. And I, and I, I'm just, I think, yeah, I like it. I like, I like the idea that something is so vast. That's I like. I like that idea. I I like being just one wee dot in that vastness. It actually makes me feel quite comforted. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah. So you've got fear of being kidnapped, and I'm just like a little raindrop blowing in the interstellar gusts. There you go. I think, you know, we're, I think we will meet in the middle at some point the longer we do this podcast. <laughs> As they're kidnapping you, I can be the little raindrop that kind of hits on the head and they try and wipe me away and you get a moment to run back to Donegal and exactly. it'll all be fine. So anyway, any other news, Kerry? What's... Oh, I did we mention the Patreon? Yes. So we have a Patreon now, listeners. Um, the link to it will be in the episode notes. So there's currently some um, free content on there and there's also a tier called legend so if you want to be a legend you can subscribe for five dollars a month for exclusive content which was very exciting yeah um yeah so we have our patreon you can follow us both on our social medias links will be in the episode notes i'm on at the kerry graham instagram twitter substack everything rabs celtic tales galway on instagram and havering rab on twitter and yeah tiktok coming soon (laughs) tiktok's coming soon and you know what else is coming soon listeners what are you doing on what the day is it you there's a podcast panel as part of what's called culture night which is what we get in ireland september and there's different like it's free events to allow citizens of ireland they can engage with their culture and um i citizens i mean anybody who lives here 
Uh, and one of the things that's happening is going to be uh, in Galway, it's going to be like a panel discussion with local Galway podcasts, of which we are one. Do you want to tell any more about that, Kerry? You, you're going to be doing yeah. the, you are the podcast person. I know, I'm very excited. Yeah, so I have to put on my public speaking hat, which I haven't done since college. Um, so yeah, it'll be in the Galway City Library and it's going to be uh, myself and two other fellas from um, local Galway podcasts as well, uh, just discussing storytelling and the audio medium as a vehicle for storytelling, that kind of thing. So it's going to be part panel, part Q&A. Um, yeah, come along if you are available on the 22nd of September, 2023. Um, yeah. yeah, it'll be fun, and hopefully, I won't be too nervous. <laughs> yeah, and then you can chat and hang out with us afterwards, and uh, exactly. yeah, be nice. Come say hi, yeah, be nice. So I think that's all our news for now. So, I think that's you know, all. Stay vigilant, news. listeners, watch out for aliens, watch it for COVID, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and aliens as we... well, exactly. Yeah, so all right, I'm just gonna say, Slon, Slon. The Celtic Tales Chronicles is written, hosted, and produced by Kerry Graham and Rob Fulton. Edited by Rob Fulton. Cover artwork by Kerry Graham. Music by Kevin McLeod.